Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to Simply Serie A, the brand new Italian football podcast presented by me, Harry Simiu. Join us weekly to review the latest fixtures, dissect the biggest stories and keep you updated with everything you need to know about one of Europe's finest competitions. Throughout the season, I'll be joined by some of Italian football's most respected journalists and contributors from the peninsula itself. We're finally up and running. Welcome to Simply Serie A with me, Harry Simiu. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting this project. It's a project that's been in the making for quite some time. There's been a few hiccups along the way. Plenty of planning has had to go on in the background. Uh, lots of correspondence, lots of emails flying back and forth. But we're finally here. We're finally ready. We're finally ready to go and uh, talk Italian football. And hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Hopefully you'll love the show. We've got some great contributors lined up throughout the season, for the rest of the season, I should say, three of which have agreed to contribute to this opening episode. Now, on this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to the lovely Chloe Beresford, uh, the brilliant Adam Digby and the fantastic Matthew St. Angelo from all the way in the United States. So those three join me on this episode. We had a little bit of a Q&A session with each each one of them. We wanted to know how they got into Syria, their stories, um, you know, and their favorite moments, because... You know, it is a wonderful competition steeped in history. Uh, and these three are three of the most respected Italian football journalists. So I'm absolutely honoured to have had them all on this opening episode. So stay tuned. And uh, I think coming up first is Chloe Beresford. Hi, Chloe. Welcome to Simply Serie A. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure, of course. Uh, Chloe, just wanted to get your sort of a little bit of an introduction about yourself. You know, how did you get into Syria? How did this league uh, get its grip upon you as it did to me? Uh, so, you know, what was your first experience of it and, and how did you get hooked? Um, well, it's quite quite a long story, a funny story, really. Um, when I was probably about 12, I started to go and watch Stockport County with my dad, which is my local team. Um, and I got absolutely gripped fell in love head over heels with football just you know every my every make, waking minute was thinking about football and the next game and everything like that um so obviously being in the sort of english lower leagues um the games were always on a saturday so 
Um, then on a Sunday, we got into watching Football Italia on Channel 4, as so many others did in the 1990s. Um, and my dad um, always knew that um, we had a connection to Italy in that um, my great-grandfather, so his grandfather, played for Manchester City in the 1930s. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and um, they won the FA Cup in 1934, and then they went on a postseason tour to um, Italy and France. Um, and it was at the time in the 90s, my dad kind of knew that um, his grandfather played against Fiorentina, but he didn't really know any details. So when we were watching Football Italia, obviously I would always look out for Fiorentina, and that's when Battistuta was scoring. And, you yeah. know, to just because we watched lower league English football um, watching those players on a, on a Sunday afternoon was brilliant because we didn't see that kind of quality obviously but we did enjoy the, the live football so it was kind of the best of both worlds Yeah. Um, and then a little bit after my dad started doing uh, quite a lot of research he, he spoke to some historians at Manchester City and different things and he found out that because um, my great granddad was actually a reserve player because at the time there were the likes of like Matt Busby and Frank Swift in that team. They were a really good team. Yeah. Um, and they, they went abroad to Fiorentina and because some of the players were on England duty, my great granddad actually got a chance to play. Um, and he scored uh, a goal in this friendly match, Manchester City against Fiorentina. And the Italy World Cup squad that went on to win the World Cup in 34 were watching on the touchlines. And oh, wow. it's just kind of um, evolved as a really amazing and mad story. Um, and then a little bit, fast forward a little bit more, um, and we, we went to Florence because he, he wanted to see the stadium. And we just made so many friends and fell in love with the atmosphere. And, and that's where, where my real love and passion of the league comes from, really. Um, watching on TV, but then actually going to watch a match is just like one of the best experiences ever. And, and that's why we've continued to keep going. And, and, you know, I've made a career out of it as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is a, a real love story then from start to finish. Yeah. Um, so you, you've, you've answered my next question, which is your favourite club, Fiorentina fantastic particularly back when um you're talking about in the 90s that's when I got into it as well and you know like you said there were some fantastic players there um always a fantastic atmosphere in the ground and this sounds really silly but I really like Fiorentina's kit it's a bit a bit isn't it so yeah uh, that's something that grabbed me instantly people always ask me you know do do you like Fiorentina because of the purple kits and I'm like (laughs) Well, no, I've got a bit of a longer story, but I do like the kits as well. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a, a fantastic kit. It is a wonderful kit. Um, so we're talking about your favourite club, Fiorentina. Do you have, you know, obviously you work within the Serie A world now. Um, you're very well known for what you do. Um, you know, I put a couple of tweets out saying that this podcast was starting and I received two or three messages saying, get in touch with Chloe Beresford. You've got to do it. <laughs> um so obviously, you know, your work goes down brilliantly and stuff. And in all your years of covering Syria, is there a particular player um, that stands out to you? Is it, you know, if someone says to you, who's your favourite Serie A player of all time, who instantly comes to mind? Um, obviously, I'd have to say Batistuta. I mean, um, his, you know, I, I quite often still even now just watch videos of him because I just love to watch him play. You know, the power in his shooting and the range of goals that he scored. And, you know, as well, his loyalty, because I know that 
you know, Manchester United, Real Madrid and all, you know, all those kind of teams at the time were interested in him and the fact that he stayed was just amazing. And I think no one begrudged him when he went, eventually went to Roma to, to win the Scudetto with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, a, he's another, he's a player, you know, with the likes of Totti and Paolo Maldini are all the same where they've become synonymous with one club and, you know, although he, he did move on eventually, he, he is obviously best known for his days at Fiorentina, so... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What about in terms of overall memory uh, of Serie A? You mentioned that you, you went and saw a game out in Florence. But what would you say is your greatest memory of the league as a whole, though? Um, I've, I've travelled widely now across um, Italy. And, you know, all the stadiums have got their own uh, unique atmosphere. And it's it's just such a pleasure to, to go and see these things that, you know, uh, when I was younger, I could never have even imagined that I would be doing this um so it, it is a real privilege to travel um but I have to say my my best experience was um Fiorentina against Juventus a couple of seasons ago um and those who follow the league will know that there's a big rivalry between those two teams yeah um so it, obviously it was a highly charged atmosphere as it was um Fiorentina of course are a massive underdog um to Juve and you know w- I went sort of thinking, well, it'll be a great atmosphere, Fiorentina will probably lose, but, you know, hey-ho. But actually, they won. They won 2-1. And um, there was a a great big choreography for a Fiorentina legend in the 80s, Giancarlo Antonioni, who's still involved uh, with the club, um, that was just stunning. And everything about the night was just magical from start to finish. The fact that they won... Um, there were celebrations under the stand after the game for just ages and ages, just singing and celebrating. It was spilled out into the streets. It was in the bars. There were flares. People were on tables. It was it was absolute madness, but it, it was just a brilliant night all around, really. Fantastic experience. It sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of Serie A now, you know, a lot of people talk about it as being... Um, Previously, the best league in Europe. Now, mm-hmm. maybe not so much. Um, I'm still a huge fan of it. I always have been. But how would you say it ranks in comparison to, say, the Premier League and La Liga now? Because, you know, we know that there's probably less money in Italy now in comparison to sort of what goes around in the Premier League and, of course, what Real Madrid and Barcelona can spend in La Liga. But how does it rank in terms of Europe's top leagues for you? And, and what does Serie A need to do to get back to the top? I think um, a lot of it comes down to personal choice. I think, you know, people um, people always have a favourite league and they could argue for a million years that theirs was the best. Um, you know, I... I can't hide the fact that I love Serie A. I'm probably biased towards it because it's it's captured my imagination completely. Um, I think, obviously, like you say, there's probably more money and a bit more glamour in the Premier League and uh, La Liga. And, and also, I think the fact that Juve have won the title for the past seven years probably puts people off a little bit. To say, mm, you know, it's always the same winner and it's not yeah, that exciting, that. but... Yeah, but if you look past that, you see that um, the rest of the league is really competitive. Um, that Juve are now at a level where they can bring in superstar players like Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think that is definitely a good thing for the league in terms of bringing the spotlight back. Um, but 
you know, the fact that so many of Serie A's players are mentioned uh, in the transfer window linked with move the way. I think, you know, the, there are the star players there. Um, plus there's all the colour and the passion of the supporters. Um, you know, to me, it's it's an all, all round exciting league. And um, I watched a little bit of the Sunderland documentary on Netflix recently. Yep. And I noticed um, the way that the tactics were being explained and the way the club was being run behind the scenes seemed so primitive in comparison to the way that Serie A teams are running that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all the... All 20 managers at the moment are all Italian. They all come from a school of football called Covacciano, which is um, near Fiorentina Stadium, actually. Um, And they have to write a thesis on a particular uh, subject in football, really detailed. And, you know, they come from this school of where they learn tactics inside out. And, you know, if you you do watch other leagues, um, having watched Serie A regularly, you can see where... Um, apart from the managers, say like Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, they, the, the tactics are quite naive in compared to Italian ones. So I think it's strong in that way. It's just in terms of marketing itself um, and in terms of the fact that they had so many stars in the 90s, um, the stadiums are outdated, you know, a lot needs to change um, internally within the Italian FA to bring it up to the level that it, it should be. But, you know, for somebody who doesn't watch Serie A regularly, I would I would say give it a chance, give it a go, because it, it is so exciting that there are flaws there. Um, you know, we saw with the Koulibaly incident, which was just awful, that there is yeah. still a problem with racism. Um, but there are so many good points. It's, you know, just watch it and give it a chance, I would say. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and like you said, you know, the tactics are, are more sophisticated um, and there's so much history there. There's so many great rivalries. I mean, yeah. you've spoken about the Fiorentina-Juventus rivalry. A casual Serie A fan probably wouldn't know that. And and that's the thing. There, and I found out maybe a few years ago that Inter and Atalanta have a real hatred for each other. So there's so many rivalries, so much history in that league. Lots of stories and interesting things to find out about. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chloe, thank you so much. I know you're so busy, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on and hopefully we can speak again during the season and we can talk about some actual Serie A action. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was the wonderful Chloe Beresford. You can check her work out by following her on Twitter. She writes some fantastic articles um, with great regularity. And, you know, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. A fountain of Serie A knowledge and someone that you'll definitely want to follow if you're interested in this competition. Now, next up, I spoke to Matt Sant'Angelo, another Italian football writer. Matthew Sant'Angelo, welcome to Simply Serie A. How are you doing, my friend? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure and, and it's great to talk to you again. We spoke a little while back on the on the Chronicles of Aguna when we were talking about your friend Lucas Torreira. On the, yeah, I know he's one of your yeah, favorite yeah. players. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you? How have you been? Good, good. You know, it's uh, obviously, uh, you know, like as you just mentioned, you know, doing the, uh, the previous discussion of Lucas Torreira. So it's, it's going to be nice to get back into uh, the team I love so much and, uh, you know, the league I love so much. And that's, of course, being AC Milan and Serie A. So I'm uh, definitely excited for this. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Right. Let's get cracking. So how did you initially fall in love with Serie A? I know for me, um, 
I always talk about it being televised in the UK back in the 90s and that's how I mm-hmm. fell in love with it. But from your, your own point of view, I know you're based in the States. So how did you fall in love with Serie A? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to sound silly, but I think, um, you know, for many people in the United States or outside of Italy, outside of Europe in general, um, I think a lot of people do tend to find different ways to get, you know, gravitate towards a specific league, whether it be a player, whether it be a, something they see on TV, and then they kind of do a little bit more digging about that player or that team. Um, and then before you know it, they can kind of immerse themselves and before you know it, they're a fan of the team, right? So for me, um, my family really wasn't from, you know, like a huge, like, football-loving family. Um, you know, obviously, as an American, we have uh, tons of other sports that are very popular, yeah. basketball, baseball, football, American football. Um, which I played at a young age, but I was one of those late bloomers to, to football, uh, European football rather, um, you know, got kind of caught up into it around, around uh, I think 2002, um, around that, around that 2002 world cup. And then of course, obviously that was a golden era for Milan. Right. So, um, for me, that's kind of where it, it started to blossom. I started to pick it up on my, by myself. Um, I started to just, you know, again, play the FIFA video games, do some reading, you know, do some, you know, just web browsing, see what I can find. Um, and lo and behold, you know, I started, I started finding a Milan, right? That was a great era for Milan. Um, and as a fan, of course, um, something I'm very, uh, you know, it, I always kind of find myself, you know, reminiscing about. So that's kind of how, in a nutshell, how I got into football. I know I'm sure Adam and I'm sure Chloe have different stories, uh, than mine, but I think, you know, what, what makes the game so special is that everyone falls in love in a different way. Everyone, you know, finds the sport and, and, um, you know, gravitate towards it in a different way and in a different manner. And that's what I think is so uh, special about the game besides everything that's on the pitch and, uh, you know, it being so beautiful. Absolutely. And, and you've spoken about your love for Milan as a team, um, sort of, is it purely down to the success they were having at the time or is there something more that that attracted you to that fantastic club well you know i've uh, you know i'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sicilian and polish so um you know obviously italian football you know it's, it'll most people there's a lot of people right you ask a german um a german person right where we know that there's a good chance that they're going to be a fan of someone in the bundesliga you know maybe they like some other teams in england or maybe they you know italy but more or less you know they'll probably have their allegiance and their alliance towards a team that's in, in their country right so for me i was um you know uh being i have Ita- italian roots italian ancestry i looked at it, i was like okay well you know like i started looking at the teams at the time and, and really some of the players um Again, wasn't it wasn't so much that I was you know handed down a team. I know there's a lot of people in generation to generation that saying their grandfather was a Milan fan, their you know their mother was a Milan fan, and then it kind of just kind of fell on their lap. For me, I kind of just did a lot of it looking for whatever reason. I just I just stumbled upon Milan. Um, you know the colors, uh, the players they had at the time. Obviously, Maldini being a huge influence and a huge uh, reason for why I'm a Milan fan, uh, um, among many others, of course, that I'm going to talk about. But yeah, I don't know. It was just something about Italian football, the aura around it, the the environment, uh, the passion around that game at that time. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, I only have videos and, and articles to kind of look back towards, like the the core of the '90 era, uh, which was so faint. It was so you know uh, popular, and it still is to this day. But um, yeah, I think that's you know more or less it was with Milan. It was just like my Italian ancestry. You know, me looking to get into the game and saying, okay, well, I know. You know, and no offense to anybody who's a major league soccer fan, but the, this brand didn't quite do it for me. It didn't quite yeah. get me into the sport. I've kind of established and gone, got learned to love and, and enjoy uh, major league soccer after the fact. And I think that's, uh, you know, uh, a, a similar case for many people that I know. You know, they, they love the European game, but they know that uh, major league soccer is growing. So they kind of lean back towards that. So um, 
again, it was the colors. It was the players they had on the pitch. Um, it was, you know, just everything about Italian football at that time. And, um, you know, with Milan, obviously all the names they had, the success they had, um, you know, the domination in, in European tournaments, it was, it was easy for me to fall in love with them. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, Milan are a team who at the moment aren't quite fulfilling their potential. You know, mm-hmm. when I think back to that 90s era that we were talking about, they were one of the the big sides, you know, and Adam's already spoken about how for Italian football to get back to the very top where it needs to be, the two Milan clubs need to get their acts together, basically, and, and put in a real title challenge. Um, what would you say has held Milan back in recent years? Because, you know, we can talk about lack of investment. We can talk about bad. For me, it's more about bad recruitment when it comes to Milan, as opposed to not spending enough money. Yeah, I I think you're spot on there. You know, you ask most people, I mean, yeah, it's, it's easy to look at the players, right? Oh, you didn't buy, you know, champion players they didn't buy you know winning you know top club top flight players right and i think it's it goes more than apple because we've seen clubs do more with less than milan right you know our teams like atalanta teams like lazio who don't have that same ped- pedigree or that same uh, um history of being a team that attracts the best of the best um and again no no disrespect to those clubs but when you think italian football you think juve you think milan you think inter i think those are the first three teams that come to mind and i'm sure you would agree and many others who really aren't so much maybe invested in Serie A, but like like the league enjoy the league and from the outside know who the kind of the the, the, the cream of the crop the big teams are over you know Serie long long history so I think for me, for, as a Milan fan, when I was looking at this entire, they called the banter era, if you will, that's kind of the big <laughs> name going around on Twitter for the past several years. Um, it's been a, 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 a bunch of different things. You know, obviously with, at the top with Berlusconi, you know, the investment wasn't there. So by default, you're not going to be able to get you know, the big time players that maybe Juve are getting or some of the big teams around Europe are able to uh, attract. So therefore, you got to get a little bit creative again, along with option type deals and things like that. And, you know, maybe free transfers and just try to find value in any way you can. Um, but I think it's also been the appointment of managers. And I think it's been a revolving door really since um, Allegri left. And he was only there for a couple of seasons. It's not like he was there for, you know, seven, eight, nine years, like we see with some other managers across Europe. So I think for me, it's a, it's a combination of different things. But I think if you really want to boil it down to, um, you know, one specific thing as being that big key reason why Milan aren't where they're supposed to be or why are they, why, why they aren't at, at the pinnacle, uh, should I say, of Serie A, is I think it's, again, recruitment from the manager, from, uh, you know, the players, and, you know, really ultimately having that management group up top to kind of make all those decisions, right? It's, it's, it's a hierarchy. It's a trickle-down effect. If you don't have the right brain trust, the right guys in place to make the decisions, do you trust them to hire the right manager? Do you trust that manager in return to get the flexibility and the financial uh, wherewithal to be able to go and say, hey, I need this player to in order uh, in order to achieve what I need to achieve. So recruitment would be a good way to put it as one of the biggest reasons why Milan uh, aren't where they're supposed to be. Absolutely. And I know they've just obviously hired Ivan Gazidis, who was at my club mm-hmm. here in the UK, Arsenal. Um, I'm not his biggest fan, so I'm not going to get into that now. Um, but I'm not convinced that that was a, a wise appointment on Milan's part. Um, in terms of your favorite players uh, from Serie A, you know, I always, and I know I keep doing this, I keep referring back to the nineties, but Mm -hmm. that for me was the real golden age in Serie A. Um, But in the time that you've been watching the league and that you've been covering the league, is there any standout player that comes to mind? You know, if if I was to ask you, who's your favorite all time Serie A player that you've obviously watched, 
who who would you sort of lean to first? Um, I, if I had to say, I, I've, I've, I'm a huge, huge, huge Kaká fan. Um, you know, again, for for Great many show. different reasons. I think I think there's a lot of people that would say, you know, well, you're Italian, you like Milan. Like, how is it not Maldini? How is it not Beresi? How is it not you know a couple other players? And I think for that reason, it's. I didn't fall in love in the game at that that time. I wasn't around, you know, because in, in, in Maldini's heyday, he had such a long career, and I saw quite a bit of him towards the tail end of his career. But I was kind of getting right into Serie A, right into Milan, right when Kaká arrived. And when he kind of burst onto the scene, he was the Ballon d'Or winner, um, had that great goal against Manchester United, and, of course, the, you know, the two Champions League titles. So, you know, for me, it's, it's Kaká's an easy choice, he's someone easy to, to fall in love with, to be attracted to. Um, obviously, you know, for other reasons, aside from the fact that he's a fantastic footballer and unfortunately um, injuries at the end of his career kind of derailed what could have been a more, even more illustrious playing career in terms of stats and in terms of maybe accolades. Um, uh, I'm a Catholic, so I, I kind of relate in him with that way. You know, the guy, there's a lot of Brazilians, a lot of players, a lot of, you know, that wear their, their heart on their sleeves. They show a, you know, their emotions and, you know, they're not afraid to... Uh, you know, show uh, the religious beliefs on the pitch. We see it with the other different religions, not just Christianity, anything like that. We see it with Salah, with um, you know, uh, you know, every. And we see it. We see it. We saw it all across the across the world. And I think that's such a great thing about the game is that it's so universal, it's so open, and it just everyone has their own way of expressing themselves and kind of um, you know showing that emotion in the moment, which is you know I find you know a great uh, you know piece of uh, what is a bigger game. So for me, Kaká, you know, again, aside from everything he, he accomplished with Milan, again, is, which is quite a bit. Um, and then prior to this year, of course, when uh, Luka Modric won, uh, won the Ballon d'Or, being the last guy besides Ronaldo and Messi to win it, I mean, it's, you know, what more else is there to say? Kaká's an all-time great for me and someone that, uh, um, you know, I definitely hold in high regard. And I'm hoping that he does return to the club uh, in some capacity soon. Yep, absolutely. And just before I let you go, Matthew, final question. I mean, it's a question that I've put to all the other guys and and we've had some really interesting answers so far. I want to get your take on it. What do you think that needs to, sorry, what do you think needs to happen for Serie A to return to the pinnacle of European football, to be regarded as it once was as the best league in Europe? What needs to happen? What steps need to be taken? Uh, I, yeah, I think you touched on a little bit earlier, right? Um, and you're referring to what uh, Adam t- said about, you know, the Neon teams need to kind of, uh, you know, get their, step their game up and, and make serious title challenges. And not only serious title challenges, but be a factor in, in the Champions League, right? You know, obviously you look at the team, again, you look at those three teams, Italy's top three teams in terms of the history, in terms of uh, success, right? Those are the three best teams and the teams that I consider um, to be the three teams that carry Serie A, um, you know, when, when it's all said and done, right? Whatever people want to look at Serie A as being, and you, you want to understand what the health of Serie A is, I think if you look at those three teams, if they're all able to be competing and really relevant, and they're always going to be relevant in, in some way, shape, or form, but in terms of relevant, in terms of, again, competing for top honors, those three teams need to be at the top and, and doing well. I think, again, if you look at the, some of the other teams, it's great to have, you know, the Atalanta, the Sassuolos, because you do need those stories. Obviously, every league needs those stories, right? We've seen it with uh, your Premier League, with the Leicesters, uh, you know, all these other teams that come out of nowhere to kind of give you those headlines, give you those that romanticism about the game and why we actually play the game uh, on the pitch versus uh, on paper. But I think, again, if you really look at it, if Milan and Inter are able to kind of uh, you know, follow suit with Juve, not saying go on a seven, eight-year run where they win the league, but you know, start to be a title contender, start to get back to the Champions League, you know, maybe make deep runs in return, also get 
the top, top players, which we're seeing Inter do right now uh, with Latar Martinez, uh, you know, Keita uh, Balde, Raja Nayangolan, you know, obviously they're reportedly getting uh, Diego Godin in the summer. If Milan are able to get back to a point in a position of, uh, of power where they can attract those big name players, you throw them three giants with the Napoli's, the Roma's, and the Lazio's. Now you're talking about a really six to seven, eight team league that's that has a lot of depth and that can really ultimately be one of the top, you know, top leagues in Europe that I do think it, it is at the moment. But I think there's so much more growth and so much more potential um, for Serie A at this moment in time. So I'm hoping that again, Milan and Inter just you know throw my bias aside for Milan because obviously um, I, I don't, I'm not too fond of Inter, but. They do need to be there as well. And if they are there, it's only going to make Serie A grow as a league. And it's only going to get more people like me years ago back into the league. Yep, absolutely. Matthew, thank you so much uh, for for giving us your time today. And uh, hopefully we can speak to you during the season at some point and get your take on all things Serie A. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on and uh, good luck to your arsenal. (laughs) Thank you very much. And last but not least, I spoke to the brilliant Adam Digby. Welcome to Simply Serie A, Adam Digby. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. It's a little cold here in England at the time of recording, but uh, we can't really complain. It is uh, January, isn't it? What did we expect? Um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. It's it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, just want to talk to you about Serie A and how you got into it, basically, as, as you know, part of the show's launch. Um, we want to talk to some of the people that hopefully can contribute during the season and, and some of the well-respected Italian football journalists, of which you are certainly one. Um, so, Adam, how did you initially fall in love with Serie A? Um, because I've got Italian connections in my family and it, we used to watch Italian football rather than English football. So I, I grew up around it and I watched it. The, the way that anyone else would be watching the, the English league, um, it, it was always on around the house every every Sunday, um, and you just kind of fall in love with it from there, don't you? The same as as you do with with any football, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I remember those days, Sunday afternoons on Channel Four, wasn't it? And of course, the uh, Saturday morning review show where they used to go for all the goals. I, I actually used to run around the house doing the, the Vincenzo Montella aeroplane celebration, if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in terms of like a favourite club, do you have a favourite club? Is it Has it sort of been a neutral love for Italian football or is there a club that pulls on your heartstrings? No, it's always been Juve for me. Um, it always has been. Um, they, they were just coming to the end of a, a great cycle of success in the in the mid eighties, um, when I started to watch Syria, um, with Trapattoni, they'd won, they'd started to win the league regularly. They, they won all the European trophies, uh, the UEFA cup, the cup winners cup and the European cup, uh, at Heysel. Um, and, and then just as I was starting to, to, to fall in love with Juve, um, Michel Platini decided to retire at 27 and, and, and Juve just went into sort of free fall from there, uh, in the late eighties. Um, one of my earliest memories is uh, watching them in a, a, a UEFA Cup playoff against Torino because they finished level on points in the league um, and it went to penalties and Ian Rush scored a penalty that helped Juve qualify for the, the UEFA Cup at the time uh, and obviously then they lived the next 
decade in the in the shadow of the great AC Milan team that, that everybody's so in love with and that I detested with a passion because <laughs> they, they stopped my team from winning anything. <laughs> that's understandable that's fair enough <laughs> um, in terms of a favourite player I know you've been watching Serie A for years and years and years is there and I know this is a really difficult question but is there a standout player for you someone that you you know when people ask you who is your favourite Serie A player is the first person that comes to your mind um, the first person that comes to my mind is Luca Viale and it, to be honest it's not a difficult one yeah obviously yeah I've watched a, a lot of great players in Serie A a lot of great Juve players but but Viale just had it all and, and as a 12, 13, 14 year old watching him play for Sampdoria I, I just couldn't believe how good he was he was he was very for people who don't really remember him he was a, a, very similar to, to Batistuta in the way that he scored just thundering volleys great headers um, and ridiculous overhead kicks seemingly every weekend. Uh, and then he signed for Juve from Sampdoria, and, and that was it. Then I was finished completely. He became the captain. He helped Juve win the Champions League. He, he was just so good. Um, and I, I really don't think that when he came to England, anyone got, really got to see just how good he was. He was coming to the end of his career. He was more interested in becoming the manager, um, which obviously then he did. Um, and... and England really did miss out on the very best of Viale, which is a shame because I think his style would have fit perfectly in the, the English league. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, in terms of your fondest memory, I'm sure there's a few, um, but sort of is there a particular game that stands out in your mind as, as being your favourite? Um, I think probably that my my favourite memory of, of watching Juve is undoubtedly that winning the Champions League in '96. Um, they've not won it since which kind of helps narrow the field um, but I think probably aside from that because it was a pretty dour game that ended up going to penalties um, I think one of my fondest memories now would probably be the first game at the new stadium when Juve after two seasons of being pretty rubbish uh, in 2011 um, Antonio Conte had just arrived so did Andrea Pirlo and and they took on Palmer, who'd beaten them in a couple of seasons before that, yep. pretty embarrassingly uh, on two occasions. Um, and they just demolished Palmer. They won 4 1. Palmer's goal was a very late on penalty. Um, and the opening goal was one of those typical PLO passes clean over the top. Stefan Ligstein had cleaned through on goal and he just smashed it in the bottom corner. And, and Juve never looked back from there, went the whole season undefeated. And, and the, the success that they've enjoyed since moving to that stadium is, is, is really special. Um, it is kind of watered down by the fact that that stadium's kind of everything that Italian football isn't. Um, it's, it's very modern, very clean, uh, and, and lacks a lot of the, the passion that, that really is the heart of Serie A isn't it the, the flares and the banners it's a lot more diluted than that but that game that, that game was really special as a as a and I, I think that has to be up there but to be honest I would, I would honestly have to go back to that, that Champions League wins league win as the the biggest memory memory because it, it it was just everything, just everything that I wanted you to achieve and after watching, watching as I said before after years of watching that AC, that AC Milan team do it seemingly every every season it was great that my team my team finally got a goal as well goal as well goal as well yeah I mean it, it doesn't get much bigger does it than the Champions League so that's completely understandable you mentioned Stefan Lichsteiner there a player who's now playing in the Premier League with my team Arsenal 
Um, and, you know, he's been getting a lot of criticism of late. Uh, people saying that he's not good enough for this league and stuff like that. People need to remember, though, what a good player Stefan Licksteiner was. Would you would you agree? He's obviously a little bit over the hill now, but he has been a great servant to Juventus over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a bit like Viali, I guess. He, he came a little bit too late to the Premier League because otherwise his style would have suited it perfectly. I mean, if you go back and watch the, the two Champions League games against Celtic, I think it was 2012-13, he almost single-handedly knocked Celtic out by himself. Um, and he was wrestling players around when the referee wasn't looking. And, <laughs> and t- typical Premier League hard man fullback, you know, but but with real quality as well. As I said, he scored the, the first official goal at the new Juventus Stadium. He, 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 his crossing was superb. He, he helped Juve eliminate Tottenham from the Champions League. Yeah, um, I remember that fondly. <laughs> yeah. And and he really did have he had limitless energy and and top quality as well and and absolutely the mindset of a of a, a, a top top player just in the way that he approached the game uh, in the way that he um, the way that he uh, the way that he viewed the game I, I interviewed him uh, about four years ago oh wow um, and he was telling me um, he said to me. Um, if if he's playing against Roma and Jovino is coming down the wing, uh, playing in Turin, and he goes flying into Jovino and and clears him out when the score is nil nil, what happens? And I just looked at him and I'm like, you get booked. And he goes, uh, no. He goes, I first of all I jump up and I scream at the the first guy I see in the front row of fans, and he starts shouting back at me, and then all the fans around him start shouting. I turn around, I scream at Chiellini. Chiellini turns around and shouts at somebody else. Then Buffon is shouting. He goes, and all of a sudden, the temperature at Juventus Stadium has gone up by 10 degrees and Roma just have no chance, all because <laughs> I cleaned out Jovino. And I, like, to, to just think that, and to because I, I, the question I asked him was about people viewing him as a, a dirty player. Yeah. And he was like, no, I do it on purpose. And I was like, just blown away that, A, that he would confess that, and B, that he thought about the game in that way that, that a lot of his fouls were done on purpose to to uh, inspire the crowd, his teammates, to to just get a reaction. And and then when you watch him after that, it kind of makes sense. Um, and it, it is it is though a shame, definitely, that he's he's come to Arsenal when he's he's struggling a little bit. I think in his last season at Juve, he was used a lot less. Um, yeah. Obviously, he had a season where he had a, a problem with his heart. He had a season where Danny Alves was. Uh, um, so he played a lot less in his final few seasons um, because before that, as I say, he, he really was a, a top, top player and he was a, um, an incredible athlete too. And he, he really did have it all. And I think at his best, if he would have come to the Premier League, we'd be having a, a very different conversation about Stefan Lickstein, to be honest. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt that for a second. Um, a lot of people that I speak to day in, day out, obviously based here in the UK, there's a lot of people that you know, were in love with Serie A back in the sort of 90s. People of, of sort of my age group who grew up in that period, they loved it, they adored it, they watched it every week. And then, of course, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it's gone down because I still love it. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing a show about it. But I, I absolutely adore Serie A. But it's got a bit of a, a, a worse reputation nowadays, hasn't it, it here in the UK? Um, for me, you know, the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo is huge because what that's done is it's, put the spotlight back on Serie A in many ways for those sort of casual fans. Um, 
how would you say Serie A ranks in comparison to Europe's other top leagues? And what do they need to do to get to that sort of elite, where they, to the level, sorry, where they're regarded as the elite league like they once were? Um, I think that's difficult because I think Serie A had a huge benefit, especially in the UK in the, the early 90s, as you say, because it, in 92 it came on Channel 4 um, free, obviously, at, at, at the same time that the Premier League went to Sky. Um, and and then you, you watch how the Premier League unfolded over the next few years and Manchester United just kept winning everything. And you, you look at Serie A and you had... You had Sampdoria just won the league when it first came on TV and then Milan started to win it and then Juve were there. Inter were always knocking on the door. But you had then you had the likes of Fiorentina and Parma um, and Roma and Lazio who all won European trophies in the in the 90s as well and, and all really state claims as being among the European elite. And they all had good results against English teams and obviously with winning the Champions League so much, Manchester United players and, and Alex Ferguson spoke at length about how they, they modelled themselves on Juve because Juve were the, the best team in Europe at that time because they got to three finals in a row. Um, and I think, unfortunately, then the reverse happened in that Serie A went away from English television and at the same time suffered with Calciopoli and um, its own problems. And then when it came back with BT... Um, AC Milan and Inter Milan were rubbish, and, yeah. and those were the two of the three biggest teams that everybody knew. And all of a sudden, it's it's Roma, <coughs> excuse me, it's Roma and it's um, Lazio and uh, it's Napoli, and and people remember Napoli because of Maradona, but there's no real attachment to them. Yeah, um, and and all the teams that people are used to, Parma were bankrupt and in the fourth division. Uh, Fiorentina were on the fringe of the Europa League. And, and all those familiar faces, Batistuta, Baresi, Marco van Basten, have all gone. And it's kind of starting from scratch, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in a league that, that doesn't really matter because they're not they're not winning the Champions League. They're they're not doing anything even in the Europa League. Juve are winning all the time. It's boring. Um, so I think all those circumstances came together to kind of make people kind of not care, and, and, that, and that's understandable. And you know, at the same time. TV really took off the internet, Twitter. You can watch any game from anywhere in the world that you want. Um, do you really want to watch uh, Lazio against Napoli as a second against fourth in Serie A? Um, then you have all the problems with racism that are, clearly the league doesn't get out of its own way. They end up suspending Koulibaly this week for as long as they've suspended Inter's fans who racially abused him. It? And it, it, it's unbelievable, but it's... It's just that typical Italian mindset of, uh, yeah, but... It, I mean, one of the, um, the... The Deputy Prime Minister came out and said that Milan fans uh, booed Leonardo Bonucci at San Siro this season. Is that racism? It's like, no, obviously it isn't. <laughs> it, the, the two are just not comparable in any way. Um, but the, there's still this ancient mindset and attitude that that it's just a bit of a laugh and it's okay. It's kind of like where English football was in the 70s. Um, and it all just adds up to make people not want to to pay any attention. But if you actually take the time to to watch the matches, um, and not even the the biggest clubs, if you watch even the smaller teams, you look at the passion of of a, a club like Fiorentina or the Genoa and Sampdoria. You look at yeah. the the way that their fans get behind the teams, the stadiums, and even the matches themselves. I mean, you watch 
okay, if you watch the the Man City Liverpool game earlier this week, it's fantastic. But a lot of the the Premier League stuff is still. It, having watched Serie A all my life, I watched a lot of the Premier League games and it's just so tactically naive, you know, it's like, it's like a children's game still, but you watch, you watch Serie A and it's easy to say it's like chess, but you can see the the thought that's gone into the way that the teams approach the game. You can see managers getting found out so easily because they're just not up to scratch. You can see um, the, just the, the sheer attention to detail that goes into these things. And then you see you see those same managers come to the Premier League and you look at what Antonio Conte did when he first came, yep. you look at what Maurizio Sarri is doing, you look at the fact that Claudio Ranieri can, can win the league with Leicester City. <laughs> and it, it, it really does just show that the, these managers are, are just a, a cut above everything else. And and know that the players are not, it's not like watching Batistuta and Van Basten and Viale, but, but you look at these managers and they're streets ahead of, of the the middle of the road. Obviously, you have to put Klopp and Guardiola and Pochettino even on a, a different level. But but you you look at um, you look at what somebody like Eusebio Di Francesco can do. You look at what Max Allegri can do. Where he can he can change formation against Tottenham and bring on Asamoah and Licksteiner in 2017, 2018, even and 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 win a, a, a match of football against somebody like Pochettino. Yeah, that that's incredible acumen to to see that that would make a difference and then for those two players to to defeat a team with the likes of Hurricane and Deli Alley and Christian Eriksen who we get told every week are just so amazing and and they get found out by Stefan Lickstein and Quadro Asamoah you know it, <laughs> it doesn't make sense but if you watch Serie A it does and it it's really difficult because the the whole argument about which league is better I think now is is kind of irrelevant because we can watch them all. And it, it really does boil down to personal preference. And for me, if you want to watch a, a game of 22 people running up and down without really any idea, watch, watch the Premier League. It's fantastic. It's great entertainment. But if if you want to watch actual football, if you want to watch a, 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 a well-thought-out, sophisticated yeah. game, a, a game for grown-ups, then, then Serie A is the league for you. It's, it really is like that. And that, that's not to be like... Uh, a hipster or snobbish or elitist if you watch Burnley against um, West Brom then you know exactly what you're going to get but if you watch um, Sampdoria against Sassuolo then it's going to be a completely different game and for me it's just better and and slowly thanks to like you say the arrival of Cristiano Ronaldo the the kind of resurgence we're seeing in, in Milan which I think is crucial for, for Serie A to get back to to being considered relevant, yeah. that Inter and AC Milan are, are both right there fighting. Um, I think if you see that, if you look at what Roma are doing, if you look at what Fiorentina have done, um, if you look at Sampdoria, the way that they've developed over the last few years, I, I think you can see the seeds are there for, for something special with Serie A. And yeah, it's going to take time because the Premier League and Serie A and even Bayern Munich and, and teams like that, Borussia Dortmund, they've already kind of got their place in the the hearts and minds of people who are watching but mm-hmm. it it really is it's right there uh, and you can see it every week when you watch Serie A and it, it slowly is returning to form and I think it's going to take a, a Champions League win by Juve and a, maybe even a title win for Milan or Inter before people are ready to, to admit it in a, a wider forum but it, for me the, the league is fantastic and if you're not watching it you're missing out and it, it's not to say, oh, you should stop watching the Premier League it's rubbish it's, it's just 
it's different. Just give it a try. You might like it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I always say to people, when people ask me this question, my answer is normally something along the lines of, it's not as good as your answer, but it's normally something along the lines of, well, the Premier League has been marketed better. They've got a better PR team behind them. And, you know, they've made a point of going and marketing themselves in Asia, in the Far East. And, and that's why they've got the world following they have. The football is not any better, in my opinion. And, you know, like you said, who wants to watch Burnley versus West Brom? But no disrespect to those two clubs, but you'd much rather watch the likes of Genoa, Sampdoria. I certainly would anyway. Um so yeah, take all those points on board. Brilliant. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know you're really busy um, and hopefully we can talk to you during the season at some point. Yeah, definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of our launch episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Simply Seria. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud if that's where you're listening from. And, of course, subscribe on YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back very soon with our first weekly review show. It's just around the corner. So stay tuned, guys. All the best. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.